Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Okay. If there was such a thing as lost, y'all, those who watch the show, and I was in a plane crash in some distant island, okay, I don't think I'd be running around with a gun. But I can tell you this, I would do everything I can to preach the gospel to every one of those people and the others, and you can see I watch the show, and I would do everything I can to start a church on this little island with those people. Because that's just who I am. All right, I want to help people become fully obedient worshipers of God. And that's part of the call. Am I special? Nope. Am I special because God called me? Nope. But I responded to God's call. Hopefully I'm working it out to become better and better at doing the call that God has me to do. All right, so here's a question. Has God called individuals in the past? That next blank is past. The answer is yes. He did it in the Old Testament. Who did he call? He called judges. Then he called prophets. He called priests. He called kings. Here's what you have to sense is the bigger picture of God. God wants all the people from all time to give him glory. He knows to do that. Genuinely, they have to know Christ as their personal Savior. So he also says to do that, there has to be an infrastructure. And that infrastructure is made up of certain people starting in the Old Testament. But before he calls the people, he has to establish a position, prophets and priests and kings. So he had all those positions. And so, yes, he called positions into play, but now he has to fill those people. So it wasn't someone who just diddly bopped through life and decided, hey, I think I'll be a priest. God then had those people orchestrated by having them born into certain families and certain situations were happening. And then he would call them. Some he found behind a wine press and he had to call them into ministry. It doesn't matter, but God establishes positions and then he enlists people for those positions. So I can tell you now that happened in the Old Testament, but it didn't end there. It continued through the New Testament, so we have a model for today. So the second bullet point is in the New Testament. So what did he do? He established 12 disciples. He had the Apostle Paul. So he's quickly now calling people, officers and offices, to lead the church. It was interesting. He began with apostles and prophets to kind of get the thing started. He kind of planted the churches, the whole movement of the church. And then he had evangelists and pastors and teachers. Didn't need those any longer because he already shot the church out of the, out of the block now and it's going. And so he says, now that it's going, now here's how we keep it maintained. And then finally, God used Paul and others to appoint elders. So he established positions, the apostles, and then he established the positions of elders and shepherds and pastors. And then he now enlists the people. And it's very possible... God could very much in his sovereignty have you listen to this message. You are here, not by accident. God wanted you to hear this. But I'm saying you are here that need to hear this message. And God might be speaking very much to you, and I don't know how it's going to flesh out. And I'm not going to push you in any box. I'm just saying, would you clean and pure before God just say, Oh, God, could it be that you're calling me in the ministry? I don't know. Let me answer the question, what are the two biggest misconceptions about the call? Before we get into the call, you have to find out what makes this thing wrong. What, what could be wrong about a call? I've read a lot of material, and the simplest and succinct material came from a gentleman by the name of Dr. Douglas Brown, Ph.D., and he reduced it to two, and I think these are important. Number one is mystical subjectivism. Mystical subjectivism. Let me see if I can make that into simple language. This is where there's a teaching 
And sometimes they take it from Scripture that in order for you to know if you're called of God, that there has to be something similar to a lightning bolt that hits you, a voice in the middle of the night that says that you're supposed to be a pastor or a minister, something that is so far out there that it's so unusual that you'd have no doubt that you're in the shower and the shower head speaks to you. But the point is, it's that subjectivism, that mystical stuff that's out there. And then their proof text is, well, there was Paul. He was going through life, and all of a sudden, this bright light hit him on the way to Damascus, and there's our model. That's not our model, because here's what happens. If you embrace that model, then you might very well miss the fact that when God does call you, it's not going to be through a sign, some special little weird sign that's out there. Then there are others that they see some kind of a sign and they automatically think, I better go into ministry. And it wasn't a sign at all. It was too many hamburgers and onions before they went to sleep. A story is told about this guy that became a pastor and he preached his heart out, but he was a lousy speaker. Couldn't preach, couldn't put the people together. People couldn't follow him, but he really wanted to do that. And finally, one of the elders came to him and said, hey, how do you know you're called to be a pastor? He says, very simple, I know I should be. I was out plowing in my field and I saw the clouds and it said, see T.P. And I knew it meant call to preach. I knew it. And the elder said, is it possible that it said call to plow? You know, I have no idea. But the point still being is it's not going to be some mystical thing. Well, then, because there are Bible people that say, that's too mystical, it can't be this, they swing the pendulum too far the other way, and that begins number two. We call that uh, rational objectivism. Rational objectivism in their desire to uh, react to that maybe or to try to be a little bit more biblical, their premise is that God doesn't have a will for you. He really doesn't call people any longer. As long as you live right, hate Satan, love God, read your Bible, you'll kind of roll into the position God wants you to be a part of. And so they kind of go into that. The problem I have with that is that I do see people in the Bible that even from their womb they were called. So it wasn't something that they had to work up to the call. God called them from their womb to be in ministry. We know that according to Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, that there is a perfect will of God. Now, we know the general perfect will of God is everything found in Scripture. But the specific perfect will of God for you is what God might call you to do or to become and what he would want for you in your particular life. Let me tell you a very sad story about a dear friend of mine who shared his testimony publicly. This man's name is Rick. He's not a part of our church. He's part of my past. Um, it seems like every, nearly every church I was a part of, if it did not have a training institute in it, we launched one in it because of just it's the way God worked. It brought people to it, brought books for it, brought leaders to teach it. It just happened. I, I didn't, it wasn't my agenda. It was following where God was moving. This guy, we call it the Ministry Training Institute. It was a hokey name, but it worked for us. We had a number of people that met on Monday night for two hours. I had the curriculum. I had classes for a number of years, different uh, levels. Once you finish this, you get this, you get this, you get this, you get that. And uh, some of these guys are in ministry today. Now my story about Rick. I remember as we were now uh, maybe two years into the program, he was sitting here, and I asked him about the class. Tell me about your call to ministry, where it was. Now, Rick stood up as a student, a grown man who worked at General Electric in Schenectady, New York. He hung his head down, and he started to weep. Now, this man loved ministry so much that he was in charge of our mission ministry, our mission team. He not only headed up all of our, our lay people that uh, planned and work with our missionaries, every year he would go worldwide to do missions on his vacations, and he saved his little bit of money to go worldwide. He ate, drank, and slept kingdom building. But here he is weeping. He says, I remember... That when I was a young boy, I thought God was calling me into ministry. But I went to a church. When I went to that church, I started asking people and I couldn't, nobody would help me. Nobody did all of this. 
And so I had to support my family, and so I ended up just going out and working for GE, and I've been there for 30 years working at GE. He says, every day of my life, I feel like I have missed the call of God. I cannot wait now until I can retire because my entire retirement is going to be used in full-time Christian service. So as a pastor, you know, I'm, I'm grieving because, there, I don't know, quite probably he was called. He missed his calling. But at the same time, I live with a God who is merciful and gracious that still took that man and used him at the GE plant in Schenectady and did an awful lot in the church and even more globally. And so some way he was able to navigate through that missed call then to where he is now. But in his heart of hearts, he knows that he should have been calling or following that call earlier on in his life. Now, I wish I could tell you that that's my only guy, but I've got too many of them in my life now. Half of the guys had quit. This is not a slam on ladies. Please relax. But half of the guys that wanted to go into ministries, their wives rarely want to do anything with Christianity and hindered them. You can't do it. Now's not the time. We don't have the money. Now, I know enough about the sovereignty of God that he often confirms or dis not confirms a call through a wife. Whatever you see good in me is from Carol. Everything you see bad in me is because I didn't listen to Carol. But I have to tell you, you women uh, have a tremendous impact upon your, your mate. When I'm often introduced in public settings, not here at church, but in bigger public settings, the first thing I'll tell people is that the person with the vision isn't the great one. The person who's married to the one with the vision is. My wife is, she says, stands like a balloon, and sometimes I have to pull them back down a little bit. But she's always been there as my greatest cheerleader, greatest risk taker. And when I've made mistakes, and I have, and some I'm very much ashamed of. She was always there to help me navigate and clean up the mess and learn from it and not quit. So women, you do have an impact on that, on the men and vice versa, the guys to the gals as well. So with that rational objectivism, how does a person determine God's call to ministry? Number one, there's an objective element of the call, an objective one. In your margin, you can write the word external. Something on the outside is doing this. I don't have it in order. I don't know if it's objective first, then subjective. It's probably subjective, then objective. I don't know. It's just two of them there. First one is objective. It's external. There are three that you would want to look at to begin to determine whether or not you might go into ministry. Number one would be a biblical qualification. There has to be a biblical qualification in order for you then to recognize your call. Do you think God would call you into ministry if you are living in such horrific sin, if you choose to be what I might call a person who will not advance your, your understanding of doing ministry, if you're a person... No, he wouldn't do that. He's going to call those whom he already probably sees ahead of time that's wanting to seek the things of God. And it could be you and you young people. Listen very hard to what I'm saying, very carefully. I, you have all followed certain football stars who had great football parents, and those kids were, 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 they were sleeping with a football when they were a day old, if you know what I'm trying to say, and they grew up in football. Those of you that follow anything with the NASCAR or the IndyCar running, you'll find most of those people racing today had parents and grandparents who were involved in racing, and they started out with little go-karts, and now they're racing million-dollar cars practically. And so I want you to know that somewhere inside of them, externally things were happening, and God is externally bringing you to churches like this and people like this to prepare you. And so there's a biblical qualification. Please don't mess it up by getting and doing something, a choice now, 
that will make it harder for you to overcome later on. It'll be a blight on your reputation and resume for the rest of your life. Now, here are the areas you want to look at, four of them. Let me quickly give them to you. You have to have godly character in order for you to, to understand this call. You won't even be able to, I don't think, technically even hear a call if there's so much junk in your life. So there's got to be godly character. Number two, there's got to be spiritual maturity. Now, with spiritual maturity, we know that it's a journey, not a destination. So you're growing in maturity. But that's why it also says, don't appoint someone to the role of an elder or a deacon who's a brand new novice. He would not be called to that yet. God forbids you to do that. So there has to be spiritual maturity. And spiritual maturity means he's more mature in God this year than he was last year. Is he growing? Number three, ministry abilities. Is he choosing to learn how to do ministry functions? Preaching is important. You have to have the skill of a preacher, but you also have to have the knowledge of an administrator to put together a wedding or console people at a funeral of their child who died of crib death. You just don't go there and give them spiritual platitudes. There's a special equipment there, so we call it ministry ability. And then there's also a giftedness. There's this unique giftedness where God gifts you spiritually, gives you the gifting, and we could open up that at another time. So all of that is a biblical qualification because God wants you to be the right tool for the right job, okay? Second point, church confirmation. Now, the church won't necessarily generate the call into ministry. The church won't generate the call. In other words, they won't make you go into ministry. They won't say, God told us, and now we're telling you what God told us. You better do what we tell you because God told us first. Not necessarily that. But what the church should be doing, and what, as long as I'm here and I'm permitted to do this, is I would like to provide the culture, the experience, the opportunities for people to be trained to do ministry. Knowledge of the word, knowledge of character, knowledge of ministry. I want to provide something more than just one Sunday pulpit. I don't know how that's going to happen. I, 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 be I believe this church has it. It has it in its DNA. I believe there's still leftover people here, not leftovers, but leftover people here from those days that can coach us and mentor us in that. I come with a background of that, so I, I think I can't waste that. God's here somewhere, so we got to do that. Now, the, the second would be then, and I think this is important too, is that we have to identify those people that are beginning to do more ministry around the church, that are really wanting to be here more often. And some of you, you know I'm talking to you right now, and you know who you are. Just recently, in the last week, you're saying, I, I just think I want to learn more about the Bible. I want to do more for God. It could be I need to identify those people and start getting together with you. Number three, besides all that, we have to evaluate you for ministry. Once we're ready then to publicly announce the call on you, we have to evaluate you. And and our job isn't to say, you're in, you're out. Our job is to help you get in and not kick you out, okay? And then we have to appoint you. Let other people know this. Let me reduce it into something that's even more simpler than that. Watch this now. Listen carefully. We won't generate you into ministry, but we have equipped you and watched you long enough that we are just saying publicly what everybody else already knows. You know, they know that you should be in ministry. So it's not like we're appointing you to do ministry. You are now a called man of God or woman. It's not going to be, duh. It's going to be, yeah, I knew it. It's taking this long. I can't wait. I'm excited. It's there. So it's not some hocus-pocus stuff that's hard to do in a veil of a fog. It's going to be like there all the time. It'll be right there. Number three is training. I know there are people and there are churches that are all over this island now that some guy says, I'm called to preach. So he grabs a, a group of people that he starts in his home and he gets himself a little office building somewhere and he says, I got a church. And I, I don't know. I can't judge him. I, that's not where I'm at. But I can tell you that there's a formula. Is he biblically qualified? Is this person confirmed by a church 
that knows how to evaluate a person for ministry? And then finally, how trained is he to do ministry? There is a training. Now, where do I get that? Moses was trained in the wilderness. The prophets were trained in a special school that they had in the Old Testament. This is the, the disciples spent three years with the greatest teacher of all, Jesus. The Apostle Paul was in the Arabian desert. Then you had a couple other guys named Timothy and Titus, and they sat underneath a very aggressive teacher, Paul, who was an apostle and a teacher. He equipped them for ministry. He trained them. Now, somewhere in your margin, I want you to put sound doctrine. Because it's not just to know how to deliver a sermon. You, you might be able to shoot straight with a lot of flash in the pan, but if there's no real substance in it, you are creating a generation of spiritual misfits. All right. Number two, subjective elements to the call. Subjective elements. In the margin, you want to write down the phrase internal. There's a subjectivity. There is something that percolates inside. There is something that's going on on the inside of you. So we're going to call that desire. We get that from 1 Timothy chapter 3. It says, this is a faithful saying. If any man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Now, we're not talking about the title of a bishop, or we're not talking about the perk of a pastor. We're talking about the work of a pastor. He desires a good work, and there's a desire. So is there wrong for that? No, there isn't. For you guests that are here, when we're ready to look for deacons, one of the things we allow our people to do is to suggest someone who might be a good deacon in the church. You can even, we permit that, it is not wrong for you to say, I'd like to be a deacon. Now, it depends on what your motives are, then we have to evaluate that. But if it's a genuine motive on the inside, that's a good thing. That's part of the call. That's a subjective internal call that God's giving to you. So as long as it's coming from within and you desire that. God's not going to lead you somewhere where you don't want to go. Let me tell you a joke, okay? How many of you have been around long enough that say, I don't want to tell people I don't want to go to Africa to be a missionary because if I say I don't want to go to Africa to be a missionary, that's exactly where God's going to call me. Have you ever heard that before? Has anybody ever heard that? If God's calling you to ministry, there will be a passion and an excitement. And if God calls you wherever he calls you, it is going to be a great place for you to go. It may not be Hawaii. Watch this. It could be better than Hawaii. For you, okay, there are people that will not, ministers, come to Hawaii to minister. It's too hot. Too many bugs for their wives. Too expensive. The people are so, fill in the blank. But where God calls, there's passion there. There's an inner desire. Same thing for ministry. Next point. There's a providential leading. One of the ways you can see is, are there some doors opening up? Are they giving you places of influence? Are you where you can get sound at training and teaching? Are you sitting underneath the teaching that will help you from the inside out to become more godly? Are you sensing that there's a provision for you to do this? Are they asking for your opinions and advice and they want to learn from you? I, I can't really explain it. I put it down in three subpoints. There's their circumstances. Are you yield to the Spirit of God? Is He opening doors in your obedience to Him? Are you seeing Him put you in places that you can't explain to use ministry? I, I, and this gets a little more complicated because it's external, and I want to be very careful about the external. But I can't deny the external that it is there. It is there. All right, what should you do about God's call to ministry? There are three. All right, what should we do about this call? Number one, Consider the possibility God is calling you to full-time vocational ministry. And I hope everyone is hearing the sound of my voice, man, woman, boy, and girl. 
that you would at least prayerfully consider the possibility God is calling you to full-time vocational ministry. Let me tell you a story of someone I talked to on Thursday night at the men's study. I won't mention his name. I didn't get permission to do that, but this is a safe enough story. After we had the study, which was a very rich study, had a couple new guys. It was just a good time together with them. And the guys were, it was after the study, we're eating some good chips and stuff. And then we started to kibitz. And one of the men was just saying to us, because we were talking about, you know, God may call you into ministry. This has been on my mind. He says, oh, I know it, but... He says, I don't know, I hear the story. Remember when Brian was here? He lived in a tiny little room down here at the bottom of New Anu in Apollo Valley. And, and look what you, Carol, did. You know, your house, and you got rid of all this stuff, and you, you, did, you came here, and you're living in this little apartment, and you haven't had a house, and your stuff's in boxes. And then Charlie, look what Charlie gave up. He had a boat and a car, and, you know, he had all this stuff, and he, he sold and gave it, and, and his son was saying goodbye to his friends and coming here and start, and Pam and having to work. She didn't have the other job. She did, I, I, don't, I don't know. And here's what I said to him to which he did agree. When God called us into ministry, he didn't call us to drop everything that very moment and launch out to do this wild and crazy adventure. What he did do is inside of us, he gave us this desire that we want to do something and then watch. Through careful purity before God in his word, we grew our faith. Ten years ago, I don't think I could have pried Carol off the mainland to come here. But the Holy Spirit worked in our life to give us the faith to do that. Years ago, Pastor Charlie and, and Pam and Tyler could not have come here, but God grew the faith. And I looked at this man, a man whom I love very much, and I said, I know this about you, my friend. Why you say, I don't know that I could do this right now. What's beating in your chest is this, though. But I want to be there. I said, when you have that, I want to be like that. That's telling me that it's quite possible that there is some form of ministry. Do not let me or this pulpit define the full style of what ministry is all about. I'm such a tiny little bit of grain of sand in this whole big thing of ministry. But I am a grain of sand. And you can be a part of that. So consider seriously God calling you to ministry. Number two, those of you in ministry leadership, and you know who you are right now, I'm speaking to you. Identify individuals with ministry potential and encourage them to consider. All of us, instead of talking about, hey, how about them warriors? That's okay to do sometime, but our, our antennas need to be up for people that could be doing ministry. Listen, 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 to this. This, is, this, this is heavy. There are going to be over 20 kids from the mainland, 20 young adult kids coming from the mainland to be trained in child evangelism fellowship. That is going to be the greatest experience that they could probably have, if God called them to do that, to prepare them for ministry. And how many of them is it possible that God will thrust out into full-time ministry? I don't know. But I don't want to miss, I don't want to walk by, I don't want to neglect a gold mine of future Chuck Swindolls, James Dobsons, John MacArthur's, and missionaries by the boatload out of that group. And God's bringing them here. And I want our church to be ready to open them up. And some of us, right here in this midst, God could be getting you ready. And I'm praying that our leaders are looking who is it possible? Who can I plant the seed? Who can I come alongside? Who can I answer questions? How can I facilitate the possibility that God is calling them? So nobody misses the eye of God through us. Number three, if God has called you and you know who you are, I don't know. God doesn't call me before he calls you. You need to obey him. Don't be like my dear friend Rick. 
be more like my dear friend, Pastor Charlie and Pastor Dennis. Obey him. Too many people at one time had that opportunity. Look what it says here in Colossians 4, verse 17. Take heed to the ministry which, I have received, which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. So here's how we can bring this to a close now. It's done. But some of you, first of all, first call is God is calling you to place your faith in Jesus Christ. He says, truly, truly, I say unto you, that's a call. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you believe in me, you won't perish but have everlasting life. He's putting this out before you. Would you trust in Christ so you can go to heaven? That's the first and most eternal call with the greatest consequences. Simply put your faith in him. Secondly, God is calling every one of us to get more active involved here in our faith family. Now, don't immediately think that you're already there, you're already doing too much. I'm sure there's always going to be some people that really are really working very hard. But the reality of it all, if we're humble enough and honest enough, there are things that we're not doing that we could be doing more. This is not a guilt trip. This is just for you to ask yourself, could I step up a little more? You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.